0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to pioneer targeted lung cancer treatments and advance knowledge of diagnostic testing. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with doctors Howard Hoxter, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's a conversation about immunotherapy and the treatment of triple-negative breast cancer with Dr. Laosh Pustai. Dr. Pustai is a professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Chagpar is an associate professor in the Department of Surgery at the Yale School of Medicine and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center.
1: So, Laosh, you know, as Breast Cancer Awareness Month goes on, a lot of women are going to be hearing about breast cancer. But we understand that breast cancer is more than one disease, that there's different kinds of breast cancer. And one of the kinds that worries a lot of women is triple negative breast cancer. Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that is?
2: You're absolutely right. So one of the the most important breakthroughs in the past 10-15 years in breast cancer research has been the realization that breast cancer is really at least two major disease types. And they are different in the sense that their molecular makeup, the risk factors that predispose or protect women to develop them are different. And they probably also originate from different cell types. So the two major types are the estrogen receptor positive cancers and the estrogen receptor negative tumors. And we also have a third category that we refer to as HER2 positive. HER2 refers to a cell surface molecule, which is a wonderful target for a highly effective treatment uh, like trastuzumab and other um, similar drugs. Triple negative breast cancer refers to a subtype which is negative, which does not possess or have the estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor, which are two female sex hormones, or um, the HER2 protein on its surface. So triple negative breast cancer accounts for probably 15% of all newly diagnosed breast
1: cancers. And so so why should we care about triple negative breast cancer? What's special about it, aside from the fact that it doesn't have these receptors? Triple
2: negative breast cancer is special in many ways. Um, We have fewer therapeutic options for these patients, and the options are primarily surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, but there are some really exciting new discoveries in this field that probably will change this within the next one or two years, and these are immunotherapies, particularly in the early stage setting. Uh, triple negative breast cancer is also unique in the sense that it's a more rapidly growing tumor. So very often, it's not very often, but frequently, more frequently than the other types, it is diagnosed by women on self palpation, feeling a lump growing in their breast, as opposed to just being picked up by a routine screening mammogram. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, triple negative cancers they tend to be a a little bit more aggressive. And because they don't have these receptors, there are fewer targeted agents and that's why chemotherapy is really what's used. Before we jump into the exciting parts of immunotherapy, can, you, let, can we talk a little bit about the epidemiology of triple negative breast cancer? Because there's a lot of stuff on the internet, and people read about triple negative breast cancer, and they hear about it being really aggressive. Um, but it only affects 10, 15 to 20% uh, of patients. And um, Does it affect younger women, more African-Americans? Is there a genetic predisposition? Uh, who, who exactly gets triple-negative breast cancer? Yes,
2: yeah, so this is a very important question, and you are absolutely right. So There is a little bit of a misconception about triple-negative breast cancer in the um, uh, public space. So first of all, I would like to reiterate this, that the vast majority of breast cancer patients who are diagnosed with a triple-negative breast cancer at an early stage, that is, cancer in the breast or in the lymph nodes in the armpit, are cured. So they will be cured with currently available therapies. This cure rate is a little less than for the estrogen receptor positive cancers, but it's still in the 70% range. With regards to the risk factors for triple negative breast cancer, these are different from the risk factors that usually associate with breast cancer in general because those tend to be the risk factors that predispose women for the other type, the more common type of breast cancer, which is the ER-positive or estrogen receptor-positive cancer that, of course, accounts for the vast majority, 70% or so of breast cancers. So unlike for estrogen receptor-positive breast cancer, the lack of pregnancies actually is somewhat of a protective factor and lack of breastfeeding is a a risk factor to develop uh, triple negative breast cancer. It also tends to occur in younger women, and also it's a little bit more prevalent among African American patients compared to other races.
1: And what about genetic predispositions? Are, are more people who get triple negative breast cancer, is that a, associated with BRCA gene mutations and so on, or is that independent?
2: So genetic predisposition, which refers to a condition when someone inherits a gene from her parents that predispose a person to develop a particular cancer like breast cancer, really underlies probably less than 10% of all breast cancers. And there are two sort of important genes which account for most of these hereditary forms of breast cancer. And these are the BRCA or BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. With BRCA1 genes, if someone Inherits a somewhat faulty BRCA gene, the likelihood to develop a triple-negative breast cancer is much higher than to develop any other type of breast cancer. But again, this still is a minority of triple-negative breast cancers that arise in the in the in this genetic background.
1: And so, so, uh, so clearly, the risk factors are a little bit different. But this is still a minority of of patients. But let's suppose somebody. Uh, is diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Um, And, you know, are their surgical options the same as if, uh, if they had any other kind of cancer? Are they necessarily treated more aggressively surgically?
2: I'm somewhat embarrassed to answer this because you are the surgeon, <laughs> the breast surgeon, but of course, as you know, the, the surgical options are very similar except for patients who actually do develop these type of cancers in the context of a BRCA, germline mutation. In other words, they inherited this faulty gene. These individuals, unfortunately, are at high risk to develop new breast cancer, either in the same breast or in the other breast, and they are also at risk to develop ovarian cancer. So, for these relatively small small subset of patients, we do recommend bilateral mastectomies. But for all other patients, a lumpectomy followed by radiation therapy is a perfectly safe and appropriate treatment option.
1: Yeah. So so from a surgical standpoint, whether you're triple negative or whether you're estrogen receptor positive, which is, as Dr. Poustei mentioned, the vast majority of patients that we see, surgical options uh, are, are pretty much equivalent. And so discussing with your surgeon which is the best option in your particular case um, is the best thing to do. And really, the receptor status will have little impact on the surgery. Where it has more impact is, is really in your field, Dr. Pustai, of the medical oncology treatments because the targeted treatments for the estrogen receptor, the targeted treatments for the HER2 receptor are no longer available to you. And so many patients ask the question of, does that mean that this cannot be treated then? Uh, and I think your answer was, uh, no, you can still be treated, but the treatment options are different.
2: That's correct. And also, it's very important to keep in mind that really, with all kinds of cancers, including breast cancer as well, there are two really very fundamentally different stages of the disease. Um, we think of breast cancers either as early stage disease or late stage disease. Early stage disease oftentimes described medical terminology as stage one, stage two, or stage three breast cancer. And late stage disease is stage four or metastatic cancer. Fortunately, 95% or more Of breast cancer patients are diagnosed initially with an early stage disease that is clinically stage one stage two or stage three at these stages the cancers are highly curable it's really important that someone receives appropriate and aggressive therapy because that's a chance to really save someone's life and really avoid a distant metastatic recurrence of the tumor metastatic disease or stage four disease uh, it can be newly diagnosed or could develop as a recurrence, as a relapse, or a reoccurrence of the cancer in another site, in a distant site, in another organ, other than the breast or the local lymph nodes. So that late-stage disease, unfortunately, is still incurable. But fortunately, the vast majority of patients are present with an early-stage disease where the cure rates are very high, 80 to 85%.
1: And so how do you treat somebody who has a triple negative cancer who is early stage? So the standard of
2: care or the state-of-the-art treatment usually involves three components, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy. The sequence of these can vary And increasingly, the most intelligent sequence is probably to start with chemotherapy first. The goal of the chemotherapy is really to eradicate or kill runaway cells that may have left the breast or the surrounding lymph nodes and hide somewhere in the body, in the liver, lung, bone, or any other organs. So chemotherapy can reach these runaway cells and eradicate or kill them. That's the main purpose of the chemotherapy. By doing the chemotherapy first, before the surgery, Obviously, one could directly measure the impact or the efficacy of the treatment because if there is no cancer left or no cancer survived the treatment by the time a patient reaches surgery, that's a very good news. So, obviously, the chemotherapy worked very well. If there is residual cancer that survived the initial treatment, it also offers an opportunity to receive additional treatment after the surgery that has been shown to improve survival.
1: And so tell us more about the chemotherapy options that women with triple negative breast cancer have, the side effects that they can anticipate. I mean, people who have triple negative breast cancer, when they first hear the word chemotherapy as really their option in terms of medical management of their cancer, often are faced with trepidation. They worry about their hair falling out and... Um, what that will mean um, for their lives in terms of symptoms and side effects. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Of course. These are very valid and appropriate concerns, and unfortunately, many patients do experience side effects on the chemotherapy. But the important point to really keep in mind is that chemotherapy improves survival. It improves the chance that someone would actually avoid a much more difficult and much more complicated and toxic therapy in the future where the hope of cure is, is no longer exist. Um, Unfortunately, side effects of chemotherapy include many different types of symptoms. The most common is hair loss, fatigue, muscle aches, joint pains, uh, flu-like symptoms, neuropathy, somewhat depending on what type of chemotherapy regimen one uses. Most of the side effects, however, improve or even completely resolve after the treatment is completed.
1: How long is treatment? I mean, do people have to get chemotherapy every day for weeks or months or years on end? Or is this uh, kind of a more isolated course?
2: There are multiple different types of chemotherapy regimens, which are all more or less equally effective or good. And the duration of treatment ranges from between 16 to 20 weeks.
1: So, so,
2: and it's not every day, right? It's not every day. So, treatments come either, the most frequent treatment is a weekly treatment that would last for, for 12 weeks, followed by four additional treatments with a different kind of chemotherapy that's given every two, two weeks. Other regimens include treatments once every two weeks for eight treatments. And they have subtle pros and cons, and it's important to discuss with, with, uh, with, a, with a medical oncologist.
1: So we are going to learn a lot more about all of those medical treatments as well as some new innovative treatments like immunotherapy right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about triple negative breast cancer with my guest, Dr. Lajos Pustai.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to elevating conversations about biomarker testing to improve outcomes for advanced cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital. Smilo Cancer Hospital's tobacco treatment program operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based, and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.
1: Welcome back. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Lajos Pustai. We're talking about triple negative breast cancer. And Laosh, right before the break, we were talking about chemotherapies and different kinds of regimens and the side effects. But there's a lot of innovative things going on in this space with really smart people trying to figure out how we can treat triple negative breast cancer better. And one of the things that you mentioned rather in passing in the last segment was immunotherapy for early stage disease. Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is immunotherapy and and what results can we expect with that in triple negative breast cancer?
2: So immunotherapy is uh, refers to a treatment strategy where we would somehow excite and increase the activity of a person's immune system to fight cancer. This has been really an elusive holy grail of cancer research for many decades until about seven or eight years ago when highly effective new therapies started to appear in the clinical trial scene. And the first drugs were approved a few years ago in uh, metastatic uh, lung cancer, melanoma, and they have shown remarkable efficacy in these otherwise very difficult to treat cancer types. And most importantly, patients who benefited or responded to these treatments tended to have very durable responses. So all these drugs, these immunotherapy drugs, and the most advanced among them are called immune checkpoint inhibitors, are also being tested in metastatic breast cancer, in early stage breast cancer. And the greatest activity actually appears to be in triple negative disease.
1: And so have there been studies looking at triple negative breast cancer and immunotherapy? I mean, is this something that is standard of care or are there clinical trials looking at this?
2: So these drugs are not yet standard of care for breast cancer. They are standard of care in, in many other Uh, cancer types. In breast cancer, we have several clinical trials, both in the metastatic or advanced stage disease and also in early stage disease. And I'm very proud to tell you that the first sort of early stage disease studies with these agents actually opened at Yale in 2015. And we took an immune checkpoint inhibitor drug and combined it with the standard of care New adjuvant or preoperative chemotherapy regimen, and uh, we found that the efficacy of the chemotherapy has increased dramatically when the immune checkpoint inhibitor or the immunotherapy was added to the treatment. And this did not come with any significant added toxicity or more side effects. To put this into context, I Referred to this in the earlier segment of this um, discussion that when chemotherapy is given before surgery, some patients experience a complete eradication of the cancer. We call this pathological complete response. This occurs about 30%, 35% of the time with chemotherapy, even with the best chemotherapies. In this clinical trial where we added an immune checkpoint inhibitor to the the chemotherapy regimen, what we observed was a 70% pathological complete response rate. That's more than doubling of the efficacy of the treatment. So, we are very excited about this. This study is still ongoing, and there are several other studies which are opening in in various parts of the country. And there are at least two large registration trials also ongoing where the purpose of the study is to definitively show that this is better than chemotherapy alone, leading to an FDA registration so that this becomes standard of care.
1: And the, the important thing to really point out is that pathologic complete response rate has been thought of as a surrogate for outcome. So when you can double Uh, the pathologic complete response rate, it really engenders hope that these patients are going to do very well with the immune checkpoint inhibitor.
2: Yes, that's a very important clarification. So the importance of this complete eradication of the cancer from the breast and lymph nodes before surgery is that these patients have an outstanding long-term survival, cancer-free survival.
1: And so, Laios, she said that there really wasn't an increase in toxicity. Is there a difference in the toxicity that patients have with immune therapy versus chemotherapy? Uh, are there other side effects that they should anticipate?
2: Yes. <clears throat> the side effects from immunotherapies are very different from the side effects of chemotherapies. Chemotherapies tend to hurt tissues and cells that grow or proliferate rapidly, like someone's hair or the lining of the mouth or our gut. Immunotherapy, on the other hand, works by boosting the immune system. And sometimes we overboost the immune system, leading to autoimmune reactions or autoimmune syndromes. So there's a very broad range of autoimmune diseases that one could actually observe as a side effect during immunotherapy. But thanks for God, these are rare. And rare means that they affect in patients in, in single-digit person numbers, like 1, 2, 3, 4%.
1: Okay. And so there are some really exciting therapies on the horizon with immunotherapies in early stage triple negative breast cancer. What are we doing in metastatic breast cancer? What are the advances there?
2: So in metastatic triple negative breast cancer, immunotherapies also show promise. The, the response rate, there is tumor shrinkage, occurs unfortunately still in the minority of patients, probably between 5 to 20 the most, 5 to 20% the most. However, just like with the other cancer types, those who respond tend to experience and enjoy a really prolonged um, sort of progression or cancer growth-free survival. And that's really a very important observation and in many ways very different from what we used to see with chemotherapy, where response rates may be higher, but the duration of the response is much uh, shorter. So the real sort of challenge in the metastatic um, setting is to find the best partners to really improve the efficacy of the immunotherapy drugs. And there are exciting studies which combine different types of immunotherapies
1: together. So can you, can you tell us more about that? Uh, are, what clinical trials might be available for patients? so we have clinical
2: trials that combine just like in the early stage setting combined chemotherapy with immunotherapy we also have clinical trials that combine existing sort of checkpoint inhibitors which are the most advanced form of um, of immunotherapy today with other more investigational and more novel approaches to immunotherapy these tend to be um, treatments which in some way or sh- some shape or form increase the activity of the immune system. But in addition to the immunotherapy approaches, there are several other really promising new, new therapeutic approaches that are appearing in the metastatic scene for triple negative breast cancer. Like what? Um, for example, antibody drug conjugates. Antibody drug conjugates uh, refer to a new type of treatment where one generates an antibody that homes in and finds a particular antigen or a particular marker of, uh, of a cancer cell, and to the antibody, there is a, a chemotherapy drug attached. So the advantage of this combination of attaching the chemotherapy to the antibody is that the chemotherapy doesn't circulate or doesn't float around freely in the blood and doesn't cause the same amount of side effects as it would otherwise. The antibody serves as, as, um, as an address really to target the chemotherapy drug to the right cells, which are the cancer cells in this particular instance. There are two or three drugs in this category. We just refer to them as antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, which have shown remarkable efficacy in metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And they probably, at least one or two of them, will appear on the market, hopefully, within the next one year or so. But in the meantime, they are available for patients in the context of clinical trials.
1: So it sounds like this is really developing a targeted therapy for something that was previously not targeted. That's right.
2: So it's 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 possible to think about this as targeted chemotherapy, where the chemotherapy drug is targeted to the to the, to the cancer cells with the help of an antibody.
1: And finally, you know, we had talked in the earlier segment about BRCA-associated cancers and the fact that some triple negative cancers occur in people who have a defective uh, BRCA gene or a mutation. Um, Is there progress being made to look at that subset of patients and see whether there are drugs that will be particularly efficacious in that population?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, BRCA, the gene itself, helps to repair damaged DNA, and cancer cells very often have DNA damage as part of the the rapid proliferation and growth. And when they have a BRCA mutation, they have difficulty repairing the, the DNA. When the DNA damage reaches a certain level, then cells no longer can tolerate it, they die. However, most of the time, the damage that the BRCA mutation causes is still tolerated by the cancer cells. So, chemists and scientists developed a molecule which actually can block the activity of other DNA repair mechanisms and therefore pushing the cell beyond this tolerable amount of DNA damage. Um, The most um, advanced among this new class of drugs, we call them PARP inhibitor, P-A-R-P, PARP inhibitors mm-hmm. is oleparib. And oleparib has been approved to treat BRCA positive or BRCA mutant ovarian cancer. And a similar study in metastatic uh, triple negative breast cancer, in fact, have shown that patients who have BRCA positive and receive this treatment also do much better than patients who have BRCA normal or who, who have a standard of care treatment as a comparator arm. So again, we are very hopeful in the medical community that these drugs will soon be available for BRCA positive, triple negative breast cancer patients who have metastatic cancer.
1: Is there, is there similar efforts being made in the early stage for patients who have BRCA associated triple negative breast cancer and using PARP inhibitors in that population?
2: Yes. So when drugs usually start their development phase in metastatic disease, trying to prolong the survival of patients or hoping uh, for, for maybe even curing some patients with the, the advanced metastatic disease. And once they show efficacy, then they usually are taken to this early stage disease setting with the hope that we would actually improve cure rates in the early stage disease so there's a large clinical trial that's still ongoing where a PARP inhibitor like oleparib is used after surgery patients would take the pill for a year and compared to a placebo pill we hope that the, the patients who are receiving the oleparib drug will have an improved survival and an improved cure rate again this is a clinical trial that's available at yale and several other a large academic center throughout the country, and in fact throughout the world, to test the efficacy of a PARP inhibitor as adjuvant therapy for early stage BRCA-positive breast cancer. This adjuvant trial also includes patients who are estrogen receptor positive, so this is open for both triple negative and estrogen receptor positive early stage cancer that arose in the background of this genetic susceptibility.
1: And, Laish, did you just say that it's a pill, so it's not it's not IV chemotherapy? Do people still lose their hair and stuff, or is it is it a pill, like a tamoxifen pill?
2: That's right. It's like a tamoxifen pill. It's like a blood pressure pill. It's a pill that the patients take once a day for, for one year. And the side effects are different from the side effects of chemotherapy. It doesn't cause hair loss and many of the other side effects that patients may experience with chemotherapy, like... Um, um, nerve damage, nausea, vomiting, mouth sores, diarrhea. These are rare vidole
1: Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of exciting developments and you know we must have mentioned clinical trials about fifty times in the last segment. And I I just thought, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about clinical trials? Because I mean certainly it is the way to get novel, exciting therapies into the clinic. But a lot of patients are really anxious about enrolling in a clinical trial. How do you allay their anxieties when they say to you, I don't want to be a human guinea pig?
2: These are valid concerns because of course, clinical trials test drugs that we don't know how well they work. But drugs that make it the clinical trial stage usually have some very strong and very powerful rationale to suspect that they would work at least to some extent because they have worked. In, uh, in multiple different animal models. Their safety has been tested in all kinds of animals and in all kinds of experimental systems. And they usually also, by the time they arrive for, for large efficacy studies, they also have been tested in, in, in patients. Um, probably the better way to think about um, clinical trials is, is an opportunity to receive tomorrow's drugs today it's really important to remember that every single drug or treatment that patients receive today and improves their outcome used to be an experimental drug a few years ago or used to be some form of an experimental treatment. So by participating in clinical trials, a patient really provides an opportunity for herself to, to receive treatment that might become the standard of care in the future.
0: Dr. Lajosh Pustai is a professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.